Welcome as we look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot as she called us to live to a higher standard every day. To not be satisfied with just a little religion, that's a shallow substitute for what God wants for us. In this series, as we continue uh, in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Well, it's Christmas time, and today we think about Christmas preparations. Typically, we think of Christmas as family time, and we'll hear from a couple of the family members of Elizabeth today. Her daughter, Valerie Elliott Shepard, will talk about her own youth testimony and about her stepfather, Addison Leach. Also, her husband, Elizabeth's son-in-law, Walt Shepard, will be talking about what he learned about love from Elizabeth. That's coming later. Also today, Gateway to Joy 171, Preparing for Christmas. Later, another Christmas message coming up, Daily Preparation for Life. So stay with us for that. Well, as you prepare for Christmas, let's hear from Elizabeth. How can you really prepare yourself? You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you today about the subject of Advent. Advent is the name that the church has given to what precedes the Christmas season. And the word simply means coming. It comes from two Latin words meaning to come toward. So we want to think during this week about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Frankly, I'm very grateful that we have times and seasons and rhythms and celebrations. I often think about what a blessing it is that we have days and nights. Can you imagine if we had to just work for 24 hours each day and no break in between? But that major unconscious break that the Lord gives us because of darkness and sleep is such a blessing and one of his great gifts. Minutes, hours, days, nights, weeks, months, years, and especially Christian celebrations. And I'm glad that we live in a country where there are still Christian celebrations. Lots of people, of course, forget what Christmas is all about or what Easter really means, but we're here to think about the original meaning of this word, Advent. It's one of God's merciful arrangements for our humanness, for our need of change and rest and variety and reminders. I don't suppose there are many of you that need as many reminders as I do. I have a husband who is always reminding me of things. I can't remember much of anything if I don't write it down, and sometimes when I write it down, I forget to look at my note. But Advent is a season that reminds us of Jesus' coming. In the 21st chapter of Luke, Jesus himself talked about his own coming again. He says in verse 25 of Luke 21, portents will appear in sun, moon, and stars. On earth, nations will stand helpless, not knowing which way to turn from the roar and surge of the sea. 
men will faint with terror at the thought of all that is coming upon the world. For the celestial powers will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with great power and glory. When all this begins to happen, stand upright and hold your heads high, because your liberation is near. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree or any other tree. As soon as it buds, you can see for yourselves that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all this happening, you may know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you this, the present generation will live to see it all. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. The word Advent for Christians throughout the ages has had three different meanings. One is the coming of Jesus to the world as a baby. Another is the coming that he speaks about in this passage in Luke, his coming back again. And the third is his coming to you and me in his gentle, patient, and courteous love. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Isn't that a staggering verse? If you think of just the two words, he came, who came? Well, it was God, wasn't it? God in the flesh, God in the form of a helpless baby came. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. It's incredible, isn't it? It really is just unbelievable to think that God himself humbled himself to come into our world, and we were not ready to receive him. I wonder, each of you who's listening to me right now, is there room for him in your life? Is there room in your heart? How would you prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus if he was actually coming to your house today or to your office or perhaps to visit your schoolroom or your place of work? How do we prepare for the coming of the Lord? Well, all of life is preparation. This is the true meaning of life, isn't it? And if we miss the fact that every day today and every day are days of preparation, then we miss the train. Had you thought about that? Thought about the fact that this particular day is preparation for meeting the Lord Jesus? Well, how do you see the meaning of life? Some of you don't agree with me, I'm sure. Some of you would have very different definitions about the meaning of life. And I wish we could sit down and talk about yours. But this is the way I see it. And we older folks realize with shock how short life is. We know that this can't be all there is. When you're young, you have so many things to look forward to, so much that's exciting. And then as you gradually move into the 30s, I think it was when I reached 30 that I realized that one of these days I was going to die. That was more of a watershed to me than 40 was. Some people say that it's at 40 that a man realizes that he's mortal. But at some point, we have to realize that this is not all there is. So each Advent season 
is a very much needed reminder. We can be stirred up, wakened, roused, put through examinations, lest we should give up doing anything and get off the track. We don't know when our soul may be required of us, in the hour that you think not. I heard of a minister who asked a group of people, how many of you think that Jesus may come today? And some of them put their hands up. And he said, how many of you think that Jesus will not come today? And the rest of them put their hands up. And then he said, the Bible says, in the hour that you think not. So, in effect, he was saying everybody's wrong. The people who think that he's coming today are wrong, and the people who think he's not coming today are wrong. It's in the hour that you think not. Well, I wonder how many of my listeners are really looking for the coming of Jesus. If you are looking for him, remember that it will be in the hour that you think not. And if you don't think he's coming back, remember the same thing. He will come in the hour that you think not. How do you prepare for real events? In some of your homes, there are Christmas preparations going on right now, I suppose. I hope that most of you have done some of your shopping, at least. There's food to be fixed. There are cookies and fruit cakes. My husband, Lars, as some of you know, is Norwegian. And in Norway, they bake seven kinds of cookies for Christmas. And I lost count of how many cakes. And please, if any of you are listening and would like to send me a fruit cake for Christmas, don't do it. It's one of the few things that I don't like. Sometimes when we're guests in people's homes, they'll say, is there anything you don't eat, anything you don't like? And my answer is yes, fruitcake. You're preparing for parties, for church programs, for guests. How about trying stillness and silence? Silence, as someone has said, is the mother of prayer and the nurse of holy thoughts. Silence cuts down on our sins, doesn't it? We can't be sinning in so many different ways if we're being quiet before God. Silence nourishes patience, charity, discretion. Holy fear is best fostered by silence, someone has said. Holy fear, of course, is the awe of God's presence, a humble recognition of who he is. And unless we can be quiet in his presence, offering ourselves to him, asking that his Holy Spirit will make himself present to us, if we can't do that, we really are not preparing very well for Advent. You know that lovely Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem? I think my favorite stanza is how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Are you discouraged, confused, overburdened, weak, distracted, let me suggest that you just sit down quietly, 
lay your hands open in your lap and close your eyes and let the Lord be your strength, your light, and your hope. Gateway to Joy 171, preparing for Christmas. Well, later on, we're going to hear from Valerie Elliott Shepherd, Elizabeth's daughter, as she gives some of her youth testimony and talks about her stepfather, Addison Leach. Valerie's husband is Walt Shepherd. He talked about Elizabeth, and when we think about Christmas and gift-giving, it's often a way to show our love. What did he learn about love from the controversial Elizabeth Elliot? Her warmth for people. Yes, indeed, she was warm for people. She had a tough life there. The early 70s were not all friendly. I was her driver, and I took her to some places where she spoke, and not everybody was thrilled to see her. And I was being a bodyguard one night when some very, um, very passionate young ladies came to the front, and they were coming with a very ugly tone, and I forgot that we weren't in a bar, and I wasn't the bouncer. And I stood there, and she said afterwards, she said, thank you for standing up for me, but can we do it with a little less color? (laughs) She taught me life is not about easy. I heard her one time, and I said to her, boy, you put the boots to that guy. And she said, boots, huh? I said, yes, ma'am. I unpacked it for her. And so one day after that, she came into my bedroom and wrote in the dust on my dresser. One of those weeks that I wasn't very meticulous. Not dust me, but the boots. How she could stand and deliver. Teaching things, teaching people, teaching concepts that were terribly sensitive issues back then. And I told her one night in a firefight, I want you on my side. Yet all the while, a surprising vulnerability, an utter dependence upon the grace And she was God's show and tell for me. What I needed so much to learn of a picture of what Jesus described as one who loves so much because she's forgiven so much. Elizabeth's son-in-law, Walt Shepard there. Later on, we'll hear from Walt's wife, Valerie Elliott Shepard, as she talks about her stepfather, Addison Leach, and gives some of her youth testimony. That's later on. First, though, another message about Christmas. It's called Daily Preparation for Life. Yesterday, I mentioned that the word Advent is from two Latin words, which simply mean coming to, and that's the name that Christians have always given to this season referring to three different advents, the coming of Jesus into the world as a baby, the coming 
of Jesus again, as he himself promised that he would do, and his quiet individual coming to each one of us who is prepared to receive him. And I want us particularly to be preparing ourselves for the Christmas season, not primarily in terms of shopping and cooking, but primarily in terms of recognition of who it is that we receive and who it is that is reminding us in this season of his coming. We're always making preparations for something, aren't we? For life, for marriage, for parenthood, for work, for old age, for death, and I would hope for those of us who are serious-minded, for judgment. Life is preparation. And God prepared the whole world. He prepared the history of the world for what the scripture calls the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God prepared a virgin. He prepared Joseph, the man who was engaged to that virgin whose name was Mary, and who was going to be charged with the responsibility of fathering the Virgin Mary's baby, who was the son of man. God prepared the world by the timing of the census. Jesus prepared for his own ministry. Jesus had to be taken into the wilderness. God was preparing him for his public ministry then. And just before Jesus chose the 12 apostles, do you remember how he prepared? He went up into the mountains to pray alone, spent the whole night in prayer before he made the choice of his apostles. He prepared the church for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we read about in the book of Acts. My own spiritual journal, which I've been keeping for pretty close to 50 years, it's an amazing revelation to me of the ways in which God has prepared me for things which I never dreamed of things which I didn't even notice at the time as being preparation for anything. I can look back in those journals and see the way in which the Lord has led me. And that's one of the strong reasons, if I may put in a parenthesis here, why I strongly urge people to keep spiritual journals, because most of us don't really have very good memories. And it's not only a question of memory, it's a question of perspective. There are so many things that I can find in my journal that were obviously the providence of God. It's only obvious to me now. It wasn't obvious at the time. But it's kind of thrilling to see, oh, so this was what that was for. So this was the lesson that God was teaching in that event. I never dreamed it. I never noticed it. When I think of the tremendous privilege, for example, of this program, Gateway to Joy, it really does kind of scare me. It would scare me almost to paralysis if I didn't remember that, of course, I had nothing to do with it. I had absolutely nothing to do with Gateway to Joy coming into being. God handed it to me, as it were, on a platter. And many other people have gone into bringing this program into being. But it was over many, many years 
that God was preparing me for something that never once crossed my screen. And I think of all you listeners out there, some of whom write to me, and just the letters that I get, which I'm sure don't represent a very large percentage of the listeners, are enough to overwhelm me and make me think, what do I have to give these people? What does any of us have but what is given to us? As my husband, Addison Leach, he was my second husband who died of cancer, as he used to say, when a man starts believing his press notices, he's in trouble. Well, lest I should ever imagine that I have anything but what has been given to me, I need to be reminded continually of the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ into my life. In one of Janet Erskine Stewart's books, one called Prayer in Faith, she has this poem which has come to mean a great deal to me just in this last year since I first found it. We for whom in bitter hour thy manhood wrestled unto death have life drawn from thy dying breath and strength beyond our human power. No bound is there to that deep life, no limit to that quenchless fire. We draw thy breath at thy desire. We wield thy strength in every strife. And what we have, but that alone, that can we give. We draw from thee that others may thy likeness see to draw them nearer to thy throne. Sometimes I know it's hard to get the meaning of a poem when you just hear it read once. But let me repeat that last stanza because it says just what I want to say to you. As I often say to people, I don't have anything but what I've been given. This is the way Janet Erskine Stewart puts it. And what we have but that alone that can we give. We draw from thee, that others may thy likeness see, to draw them nearer to thy throne. And so it's always my prayer, and I would ask you who pray for me to pray the same thing, that I may be continually drawing from Christ myself, so that others may see his likeness, and they may be drawn nearer to his throne. The purpose of my life is to love God and to make him loved, and to lay down my life to that end. So these things about Advent that I've been taught myself by many ancient writers, they're not new, they're not my own, they're not original, they're just the old eternal word, alive powerful, relevant today. Now, how do we prepare for his coming? We should be spiritually attentive, awake, watching for him, listening to him, expectant. Sometimes we're not expecting a thing from God, are we? Because we think God is paying no attention to us. Am I talking to some today who are despairing, sure that God has forgotten them, 
or maybe that God doesn't exist at all. Certain that because you've lived such a bad life or such an indifferent life that you have no right to expect anything from God. Well, you know, you're just exactly the kind of person that God wants to get the attention of. He's plucking at your sleeve saying, watch for me, listen for me. I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. Don't you want to expect something from me? I want to do something for you. How often do you go to prayer really not expecting God to do a thing? Just a couple of weeks ago, I got a letter, one of the most depressing, discouraging letters that I've ever had from a radio listener. And when I got finished reading her six or eight pages, I thought to myself, here's a hopeless case if I've ever seen one. Husband and wife, both of them hopeless. It was a letter from the wife telling about a miserable marriage. And as I read her account of all her husband's faults, I thought to myself, there's a lot of bitterness in this woman, a lot of unwillingness to love and to lay down her life. And you know what? That woman herself actually called the station sometime after she had written that letter. And when I heard how God had actually been working in their lives, I thought to myself, Lord, forgive my unbelief. I really was not expecting that anything very much could happen in that woman's life. We say God hears and answers prayer, but maybe he doesn't hear mine. I will never get an answer. We read in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, I will stand at my post. I will take up my position on the watchtower. I will watch to learn what he will say through me and what I shall reply when I am challenged. I'm suggesting that in this Advent time that we take up our stand that we watch to learn what he will say to us. And I do believe that God wants to speak to you. If you will wait for him, listen to him, be silent before him, and receive the coming, the advent of the Lord Jesus at this Christmas time. Gateway to Joy 172, about Christmas, daily preparation for life. Well, Christmas is often a family time. We earlier heard from Walt Shepard, son-in-law of Elizabeth, about Valerie Elliott Shepard, and she talks about her stepfather, Addison Leach. I'm going to share my own testimony. I call it my adult testimony, though I did give my heart to Christ in a serious way when I was 14. Now, everything my mother taught me and said to me as a child, I I obeyed, I listened, I learned, I believed. So I believed that Jesus was my savior. But at the ages of 10, 11, 12, we had moved to the States when I was eight and a half. So I started fourth grade in a public, small public school, which was actually a good school. And, but when I began to go into adolescence, I was much more distracted by friends. When my mother remarried the second time, which was in, January of 1968. Addison Leach was a Presbyterian minister and professor of theology. We lived in Franconia, New Hampshire, which is where we had been living. My mother and I had been living since 1963. That summer, we moved to Massachusetts because he was going to teach at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, which is where my husband, Walt Shepard, went to seminary. So 
he sent me to a Presbyterian Christian Youth Missions Conference. It changed my life. Uh, I, as I said, I certainly believed everything my mother had taught me, but sitting in church when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, it went in one ear and out the other. I remember just being cold in this little community church that had been started by Christian Women's Club in Sugar Hill, New Hampshire. I ate my mother's mints from her purse while she played the organ. And I was in Sunday school and I remember being frustrated that I seemed to be the only one that wanted to answer questions, but I was basically bored in church. So when I went to this conference, it was about 300 high school students with some very good preachers, Jerry Kirk, Bruce Thielman, and the third one escapes, the name, the name escapes me, but anyway, they were wonderful. And I'll never forget the singing of Christian hymns by those teenagers. They had the boys and the girls separated in the auditorium that we sat in. It was an outdoor auditorium, but we got to hear these three different preachers, and I knew the Lord was calling me to himself to be his disciple. And it was at that week that I understood I had to get more serious about learning his word, loving him, praying. So I was 14. And I'm very, very grateful that my stepfather sent me to that conference. That conference has been going on for about 120 years, Presbyterian Youth Conference. Valerie Elliott Shepherd, Jim and Elizabeth's daughter. Well, it looks like our time together is coming to an end. Hey, thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you as you jog, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliott.org for more talks, devotionals, videos, and more. It's elizabethelliott.org. And if you get a chance, leave us a review at the place where you found this podcast. Thanks. Until next time, may God remind you daily that you're loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms.